down women with diluted dreams are home for joy has been washed down the stream. I'm Robin Hawkins, and you're listening to Watered Down Women. Hoping to be free, found a new home in the cemetery. Have you ever slipped under the blankets on a cold winter's night, fluffed your pillows until they were just right, got all snuggled in, closed your eyes, and when you finally were starting to drift off to sleep, you instantly feel the need to use the bathroom. Some might say this is one of their most frustrating feelings, whereas others would say that wearing wet clothing, especially wet blue jeans, is more annoying Still, there are certain individuals who would gladly endure these types of discomfort rather than entertain the thought of speaking in front of large crowds. But in the grand scheme of things, we realize that these are infinitely small annoyances compared to the suffering others must endure. Besides things we don't like doing, are there places we don't like going? Most of us cringe at the notion of going to the dentist. Many dread doctor's visits. And there are those who would gladly face a needle as opposed to sitting across the room and facing a judge. The aforementioned are all answers to surveys in which the question was asked, what is something you hate the thought of? Interestingly, there's one place, one occasion that doesn't make the list, but probably surpasses all other dreaded life events. And that is going to the funeral home to make arrangements for a loved one. Recently, I had the honor of sitting down with Hannah Snyder Warnicke, fourth generation funeral director and embalmer for Snyder Funeral Homes. And I learned that the average funeral director meets about 100 families each year. Hannah shared the three main functions of a funeral director, and we discussed the preparation process. The three main ones that take the most amount of time are meeting with the family to make the arrangements, embalming and preparing the body, dressing and and cosmetize and all that. How long does that take? About three to four hours, if you're counting the embalming and the dressing and the hairstyle and the makeup and getting them in the casket. Okay. And directing the funeral service. Okay. So each of those three take about three to five hours approximately of the funeral director's time. Now there's tons of little activities that go on, you know. Um, 
someone brings us a photograph to use with the obituary, well, we'll retouch it on the computer so there's no scratches or, or creases in the photo. Mm -hmm. the, the family might not even notice we do that, but there's tons of those little things that we take care of just automatically. Um, so yeah, I would say each family who engages us for full services, they probably get 150 hours of work behind the scenes that they'll hopefully never notice. We also held a lengthy discussion about the cost of today's funeral expenses. If you're looking for a true average, I'll say 12. Okay. But let's just say your cemetery is the cemetery that charges 4,000 for the burial. You're gonna have to change cemeteries if you wanna spend the average. Gotcha. So a uh -huh. lot of those charges don't actually stay at the funeral home. Okay. We pay your minister, your florist, your newspaper, musicians that play at the funeral, the luncheon committee, the hairdresser, the health department, and we write checks for all that. So wow. the funeral bill might be 12,000, but maybe we only are keeping five, six, 7,000. So for burial, we've got packages starting at 4,000, but then you add the casket to that, so that's where it goes up. Um, my number one tip for saving money on a funeral is to avoid the weekend. Okay. Saturdays typically add about $1,000 to $2,000 to the overall cost. Now for cremation, it's a little trickier because instead of four packages, we have nine different packages for cremation. Actually, we are one of the very few funeral homes that all our prices are published online. Okay. I do believe that in the next year or two, the federal government is going to require us to publish them online. But at Snyder's, we did it years ago because we're like, people need to know. So one of the biggest misconceptions I would say about pricing a funeral is people think that if they're gonna have a small service, like only a few close family members and friends, it's gonna be cheaper. It's not though. The federal government requires that if we're announcing like a funeral, it doesn't matter if two people come or 200 people come, it's the same price. Surely one's more work for us, but we right. can't price it that way. Right. So um, it's really more about opening it up to the general public, is my opinion, and let the community come in and grieve and support your family okay. rather than focus on having it be super intimate and super small. There's not really a cost savings to do that. I asked about the average age of death for individuals and learned some interesting facts you might not know this, your listeners might not even know this, there's a new law here in Ohio that just went into effect in April that now hospitals are required to offer funeral services to mothers who experience the loss of a very early stage unborn child. We're serving a lot more early stage unborn children than we ever have in the past, um, which I think is good for the mothers. Very, very good to have either a burial or an urn to take home. Sure, so, and for the child. Yes. That's showing dignity to that life. To that life. With this law now in effect, Snyder has gone from serving one infant every six to eight weeks, and now it's about one child every other week. In looking at the national average for age of death, Hannah shared... And the average age of death in the United States is 77.2 and in Ohio it's 76.5. In regards to those who actually prepare in advance for their funerals, Hamlet explained that in the United States, less than 25% of the population pre-plan their funerals and less than 10% pre-pay their expenses. 
When asked about the process, she said, You can go to a funeral home, any funeral home, and they'll be happy to write down all your wishes and put it in a file. That's free. Everyone should be doing that. I asked Hannah about the trends in actual funerals versus graveside services. We are seeing more reduced services. Um, this has been going on for a long time though. Maybe the pandemic sped it up a little bit. Um, in the old times, my grandpa would tell you, two days of calling, like the whole day, one day, a whole nother day of calling the next day, and then service on the third day. Mm -hmm. By the time I got in the industry 12 years ago, it was already one night of calling hours with the service the next day. And now you're seeing it pushed even more to same day, maybe just the calling hour is one hour before the service. And like you mentioned, even just at the cemetery or a gravesite service. Probably the most helpful advice I received from Hannah was when she explained the emotional benefits of having a funeral service. Sadly, I do think people undervalue the weight of a funeral and, and they think it's difficult to stand at the funeral home and go through the calling hours experience, mm -hmm. but they don't realize that it truncates the start of their grief journey. So here at Snyder, we're so like, we feel so strongly that calling hours and having those traditional services are important, that we work so that there's not enough financial incentive to skip part of the services. So for example, if you decide no calling hours, you only save $200. That's not a large amount of money considering what else you're spending on the services. So we try to encourage people to have the calling hours because you don't want to deprive your family of the opportunity to have the general public come in, show their support, share in their grief. Without having a safe space to express sympathy, you're still going to have calling hours. You're just not going to have it at the funeral home. Right. Every time you go for a walk in your neighborhood, go to the grocery store, every time you go to church or out to eat, people are going to stop you and express their sympathy or worse, not know that your loved one died. Then you have to tell them. And it just becomes this very long process of you have to do calling hours individually over maybe a year or more with everyone that you know in your circle rather than having it in a safe space at the funeral home in a designated time when you're prepared and ready to greet everyone, give the hugs and... And right. share the stories. And that's, like you said, a safe space. You're expecting that to happen. You're not expecting that at Walmart. Yeah, certainly not nine months later. The funeral industry has put a ton of money into researching the human experience of loss. And the number one thing you can do to begin the grieving process in a healthy way is to have public services. Hannah went on to discuss why people opt to forego funeral services in order to protect their family from that painful process, when in fact, it does a disservice to the survivors. I think what's happening is people think by telling their family, don't make a fuss, just take me out back or just cremate me and scatter me, you know, whatever their version of don't make a fuss is, mm -hmm. um, they think they're helping their family, whether that's financially or emotionally, but they're wrong. Humans need to grieve great loss in their life. We need the chance to mark a milestone. The funeral is not for the person who died. The funeral is for the people still living. 
There's a reason that for all of human history, we felt the need to mark the lives of those we love with a funeral ceremony. Funerals aren't a trend, you know, it's one of the oldest professions. Funerals are here to stay. Um, I was in Egypt last year, which was a remarkable experience as an embalmer, see the birthplace of a lot of the techniques I was taught in mortuary school. And you feel the reverence that the ancient Egyptian society had for their dead. Nowadays, embalming is state-of-the-art, incredibly affordable, yet it's valued much less, which is so interesting to me. One of my favorite sites while I was there wasn't the pyramids, it wasn't King Tut's tomb or Nefertari's tomb. It was the tomb of a practically unknown worker, and he had actually carved some of the tombs of the pharaohs, so when he went to carve his own family's tomb, it was very elaborate. Um, and he actually had the carvings of the mourners stretching all the way around the room. So there was like a little scene in the corner of the embalming, but the mourners took up the whole space all the way to the door. And it's those we leave behind that carry that burden of loss. And even 4,000 years ago, they understood that. We also talked about the role that faith plays in the funeral planning process. Most families nowadays probably don't attend church, or if they do, there's only a few members of their extended family that attend church. Um, we, we do have celebrants on staff now. A celebrant is someone who has attended formal training to do a funeral service, but they're not an ordained minister. And that is requested very often. Now, one thing that warms my heart about that is most of our celebrants, if not all of them, are godly men and women who attend church themselves. Um, and so when they offer to these families who don't attend church or don't believe in religion, would you like me to offer a prayer? Would you like me to read the 23rd Psalm? The majority of the time they say yes. I think when we have a big event like a death in the family, you're craving some of that traditional, some of that, um, I don't want to say craving religion, but kind of, you know, it's, it, it brings you back to what's important. It opens your soul up to things eternal. And it's kind of an important time for the whole family to decide what's important to us. Um, so we encourage the celebrants to kind of go to whatever the family's comfortable with as far as including religion in the service. But I would say here, at least in central Ohio, 90 plus percent of those families, even if they ask for no religion in the service, still want at least one prayer or one scripture read. For someone who deals with death nearly every single day of her life, Hannah shared her personal thoughts on the issue of dying. I credit having a faith in God because I, I know there are funeral directors out there that don't have the faith for life ever, everlasting. Uh, and it would be very difficult, I think, to do this job without that. Um, so my thoughts about death, for me personally, I don't dread it. I don't, I'm not scared of it. Uh, I think a lot of people are more afraid of the dying than they are of being passed away. Um, It's hard to gather your thoughts about death, isn't it? I mean, it is inevitable. Like you said in the first episode of this season, it's inevitable, like we all will experience it. But it, as a human, we have these self-preservation things innately built in us to not um, maybe ever fully grasp what that is going to mean. Um, and I think 
most people have a very tough time talking about their own death. And as funeral directors, we have an easier time of it. And what I mean is we'll say, okay, well, in case I don't come back from my trip, do X, Y, and Z. You know, we kind of think in that always sort of just in case mode that maybe is harder for other people to plug into. But it's certainly not something that I stay awake being afraid of at night. Now I ask you, what are your thoughts about death? Would you be prepared for the unexpected death of an immediate loved one? And have you shared your last wishes with those you love? This week, I'll leave you with the words of the playwright Robert Bolt. Death comes for us all even at our birth. Even at our birth, death does but stand aside a little. And every day, he looks toward us and muses somewhat to himself, whether that day or the next, he will draw nigh. Water down women with diluted dreams been washed down the stream a fool's paradise hoping to be free found